That guy just looks like a phony. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's December 24th, 2009. Time for your Gitmo Nation media assassination episode 159. This is no agenda. No longer a valid person, according to the United States Supreme Court. And coming to you live from the minimum security containment cell, crackpot command center in Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, California, in the morning. I'm Adam Curry. And hello to everybody out there in the Midwest where you're having a blizzard. It's sunny in northern Silicon Valley. I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill. In the morning. In the morning to you, John. Morning to you. Yes, in the morning. Morning, morning. So, um... Yeah, there's a blizzard that's apparently pounding. It's going to screw up everybody's Christmas. <laughs> and I, and, I'm, and a I, la- I laugh. Blizzard. Yes, a global warming. We need to start giving it names. Wait a minute. Before we do anything, John, before we do anything, I think uh, because of the, of the storm, we should take a moment and listen to Sir Lord Al Gore's Global warming poem. One thin September soon, a floating continent disappears in midnight sun. Vapors rise as fever settles on an acid sea. Neptune's bones dissolve. Snow glides from the mountain. Ice fathers floods for a season. Hardening comes quickly. Then dirt is parched, kindling is placed in the forest for the lightning celebration. Unknown creatures take their leave unmourned, horsemen ready their stirrups. Passion seeks heroes and friends, the bell of the city on the hill is rung, the shepherd cries, the hour of choosing has arrived, here are your tools. I have five different versions of that. Yeah, brother. <laughs> Do you have one that's good? Yeah, I got one that's really good. You didn't like that one? That was, I mean, that was an Al Gore no, original. I, I'll tell you why I didn't like it. It was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was muddy. Okay, we'll try this one then. One thin September soon, a floating <laughs> continent disappears I like it already. <laughs> in midnight sun. Vapors rise as fever settles on an acid sea. Neptune's bones dissolve. Snow glides from the mountain. Ice father's floods for a season. A hard rain comes. Then dirt is parched. Kindling is placed in the forest for the lightning celebration. Unknown creatures take their leave unmourned. Horsemen ready their stirrups alone. Passion seeks heroes and friends. The bell of the city on the hill is round dawn. The shepherd cries. <laughs> the hour of choosing has arrived. I am your tool. I hear are your tools. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. That's, that was good. Yeah, that was a good one. Hey, who are uh, the executive producers for episode 159, John? We got uh, five executive producers, which is a nice uh, Christmas uh, spirit 
thing. Uh, now, the the executive producer per se who came up with the uh, with the most money um, over two hundred. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm having mixed feelings about this guy. Uh, this is Sander Huxbergen. Huxbergen, who, yeah. Who is just giving us money for the sole purpose of hearing me butcher the town of uh, Zondam. Zondam. <laughs> So, you know, it's a fetish. Let it go. I mean, some people spend uh, 300 bucks a month on uh, on phone sex lines. Let it go. But I, know, but, but, but I don't get the humor here because, I mean, I, all I say is it's Zondam. Is that it? <laughs> I nailed it. No, you didn't nail it. You still have the intonation wrong. It's Zondam. Zondam. Yeah, yeah Zondam. <laughs> Is that it? There is something funny about the way you say it, Joe. <laughs> I can't help it. There is something funny about it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sander. And uh, I, I don't mind, John. I, I'm okay if he wants to be an executive producer just to hear you pronounce sound dumb. Or mispronounce it as far as he's concerned. It's it's fine either way. So he gave us 250-252, which is kind of cute. That is a, that's a nice and, number. And uh, I want to thank him, too. And I, I'll get the pronunciation correct, but maybe it'll cost us <laughs> in the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'll probably be a couple grand before he gets it right, Sonder. Keep it coming. I got it. I'm got, I'll nail it. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to record it. <clears throat> then I'll just play the recording. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, then we have uh, our associate executive producers, uh, John Winiarski uh, from San Diego. Uh, he gave us $234.56. Cool. Thank you. And then we have our... Uh, uh, from Bright's Grove, Ontario, uh, $250 from uh, Maria Strott. And uh, it, that's, I'm assuming that's her last name because this is for her, her hubby, Rudolph Strott, S-T-R-A-A-T. Okay. My Christmas gift to him... He's one of the. He's been an executive producer. Before. Wait a minute. So, so she's actually giving an executive producer, an associate executive producer status to her husband. Well, he's been an executive producer before, according to the way she puts it. I think I remember it being it was like months ago. Uh, yeah, that's what she's doing. Thank you, Maria. Yeah, Maria. Thank you so much. And then we have another two hundred fifty dollars from Julie Lee, who is in. Uh, Clinton, North Carolina, and she called us out because uh, she, but for, I'm going to read you in the note, Merry Christmas, John and Adam, did not donate through PayPal, I hate to break it to you, Julie, but it came through PayPal anyway, last time I did so, I asked that a birthday recognition of my husband, Brandon Lee, and his uh, PayPal name is Robert Lee, and he got credit for the donation with no birthday wishes. Oh, no. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, Brandon, sorry. Dude, we're birthday, so, dude. we suck. <laughs> and his first name is Robert, and his correlation to Robert E. Lee was mentioned, but that was only my only birthday gift to him. So, <laughs> so I was disappointed, I would think. How about Bruce Lee? So anyway, no, I mean, here she sets up this birthday deal, and, she, and then we blow it. I thought we did it. I know we did it for somebody. I really don't remember. Anyway, so now she's making the donation on her behalf. Okay. <laughs> uh, even though she's still disappointed about the rent. This is Julie Lee, and she's now female number uh, 32, who's actually involved with... Uh, Can you imagine the gangbang we could have if we put all our producers in one room? 
<laughs> and then finally, our last producer, $251, came from uh, Rob Seelock in Cochrane, Alberta, where all the money is. Alberta, <laughs> Canada is where all the money is. That's where it all is. And the Canadians know it, and Americans don't seem to know it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sonder, John, Maria, Julie, and Rob, for... Uh being executive producers, all receiving full credit in the show notes at noagendashow.com, curry.com, dvorak.org, slash blog. And, of course, as mentioned in this very program, feel free to put that on your curriculum. You can uh, just add it to your resume at any time. We'll vouch for you. It's valid and it looks good, uh, particularly if uh, you're looking for a, a gig in media. Yeah, actually. Did we, it makes sense. Was there something else with uh, Jeff Wright? Uh, was there was a? I oh, no, I, no, I see. And I, I wrote this down. I want to remember that uh, Jeff actually uh, had purchased the Wall Street Journal iPhone app, and he, and he found out that it's going to cost him fifty two dollars a year. And he's, <laughs> right. like, yeah, he's like, screw right. that! I, I, I'm just going to go for, for for sixty at a five dollar a month subscription instead of the the Wall Street Journal app. Jeff Wright from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, highly appreciated, dude. And I th and I think these are the choice we have to make in these hard times. You know, what are you going to buy? What are you going to put your money towards? And this is obviously we feel this is a a smart use of your discretionary funds. Yeah, to keep the show on the air. And the main thing is we we keep digging up really cool stuff. I have a lot of stuff today. Oh, dude. I mean, you know, I, I'm hoping that my battery holds out on the on the microphone because <laughs> this could be a long show. There is amazing stuff going on. And, well, I mean, I, 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 I hesitate to even want to start. Well, let's start with it. Let's just start with the Robert. I got just a short clip, a humor clip of the day. Robert Gibbs, a short laugh that I want to use as a regular bit, regular feature. It's like a two second, three second Robert or Gibbs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is the, uh, the mouthpiece for the president. Yeah. He is the official spokesman for the White House who does his uh, daily briefings for the White House press corps. And uh, here he is. In all his glory. <laughs> <laughs> what a tool. Well, what was this sounds about? hilarious to me. I don't know why. What was he laughing about? Somebody asked a question that was just, you know, it was just, I've been recording all the press conferences, and, and every once in a while, you know, somebody says something kind of amusing and self-deprecating and gives laughs at it. I got um, a lot of I mean, I didn't put as much Gibbs stuff in as I could have made the whole show about Gibbs with the stuff I've collected. Yeah, Mickey and I watched the uh, the HBO documentary about the uh, entire uh, election campaign for Barack Obama, uh, which was a horrible documentary, by the way. I mean, it was just no, it was it just wasn't put together very well. But you mainly see Axelrod and Gibbs, who of course are like marketing PR guys with emphasis on marketing. And, uh, you know, and I'm always watching C-SPAN and I'm watching the, the daily press briefings. And, and Mickey's like, wait, isn't that like the, the slimy PR dude from the documentary? I said, yeah, he actually speaks on behalf of the president these days. He is the voice of the White House. And let's listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So now the one thing, just the more light stuff at the beginning of the show here. I have a clip. This is not the, the clip I'm gonna. I'm gonna eventually take the end of this clip and use it as a as a clip for the end of the year uh, sound wrap up. But uh, play the uh, 
What's it called on here? It's called uh, Reality Clip from CSI. This is the beginning of a CSI Miami with with Caruso, who's this dead, you know, this deadpan actor who who just delivers these craziest lines. You just make you shake your head. Season finale. My guy was just about to propose to Grace. Yeah, and and make her a million dollars richer. Can't believe this. How could this have happened to her? It happened because reality just became real. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Reality just be- became real. <laughs> it happened to her because reality just became, became real. real. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I gotta put. I gotta give that sound effect a button. It needs. Yeah, hey, you almost did that. You almost did. You sounded like him. <laughs> I, I can't tell the difference between John and Robert. It's getting so, tough now. Yeah. <laughs> The name of this clip for everybody out there, I name these clips and Adam has to figure out what I'm going to talk about. It's called Gibbs Laughing Like an Idiot. Yeah, that's the one. So I think I can just label it Gibbs Idiot and I'll be able to remember what it is. So uh, this came from another uh, uh, Gibbs thing. Play the. This was I thought it was kind of interesting because it was never really picked up by the media, even though it's kind of funny and it's kind of light and it would kind of. I think it reflects interesting. I, I, I don't know what. The, I guess the media doesn't know what to make of this. Well, play the Barry from DC clip. Okay. This is Gibbs again. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. We won't tell anyone. Sometime in 2010. <laughs> Do you know if the president called up Tim Kaine's radio show this morning identifying himself as Barry from D.C.? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if he did, but that would have, that'd be inaccurate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It sounded like him. Yeah, I, sure. I think this is uh, Governor Kaine's last radio show, and uh, uh, I know there was a call sheet that went in. Uh, likely went in. Uh, I just say yes. He identified himself as Barry from D.C. is to surprise the governor of Virginia. Yes. Just say yes. Wait. I know he can't do that. I mean, this is what they chew up all this time with this blather. Just saying, did you call it Barry? Yeah, he did. It's pretty yeah, funny. Huh? Just okay, say next yes. Question. So I think that, um, and I, I saw in the chat room a couple of people have been trying. Try to get on some uh, some mainstream shows, some call-in shows. I think you should call in as Barry from D.C., and that's when you want to basically, you know, say, you know, noagendashow.com in the morning. Yeah. They should. We need all our people to call in these radio shows and, and say, did you listen to No Agenda last week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? Hi, it's Barry from D.C. Did you listen to noagendashow.com <laughs> in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, 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 I even mentioned it in the opening of the show, John. I, I am blown away by a little ruling the Supreme Court passed down Monday. And I don't know if you blogged about this, but it basically... Um, you know, I, I I have to start looking over my shoulder for uh, because the, the law is now totally set to do anything they want to anyone in the United States. Have you heard about the, this amazing Supreme Court ruling? No, tell me about it. So there was a case that was brought by four uh, British former Guantanamo Bay prisoners, and they and they brought this against uh, former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, and. The Supreme Court passed down a ruling that essentially said that uh, if the state deems you a an enemy combatant of the state, 
which started under uh, under Bush, of course. And basically, the United States can deem anyone an enemy combatant of the state. I think, uh, wasn't that the MIAC report where they actually listed some of those things? It could be anyone from a Ron Paul supporter to someone who's carrying around the Constitution and talking crazy. Yeah, or, or, crazy talk, <laughs> about, crazy the talk about the Constitution. So if you actually are deemed uh, an enemy combatant of the state, there is now a statute based upon this ruling that you are deemed not a person. So you have no legal status under the United States law as a person, ergo anything can happen to you. That's interesting. <laughs> I think it goes beyond interesting. <laughs> it, it, it's like it, it, it borders on it, it. It's it completely insane. So first, the Obama administration asked the court not to hear the case, and then uh, so the, the the court agreed, letting stand an earlier opinion by the D.C. Circuit Court, which found that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, a statute that applies by its terms to all persons, did not apply to detainees in Guantanamo, effect effectively ruling that the detainees are not persons for all purposes of U.S. law. The lower court also dismissed the detainees' claims under the Alien Tort Statute and Geneva Convention, finding defendants immune on the basis that, quote, torture is a foreseeable consequence of the military's detention of suspected enemy combatants. In other words... That's a beauty. Yeah, Torture is legal if you're not a person. I mean, they literally, they can, just by saying, hey, John, you know what? Today you are an enemy combatant of the state. Therefore, you are not a person. So you have no legal rights. You have no human rights. You're not a but person. But all I did was not pick up my mail. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, what was that movie? Like, Gattaca? I think it was, the, no, not Gattaca. Whatever. Like, the science fiction movie where you have to pass through and then you're deemed valid or invalid. This is yeah. exactly what it is. You're an invalid. All I did was not pick up my mail. Well, you know, there's something, uh, there's a sadomasochistic uh, aspect of this. This is actually sick. You know, to actually, to I, in one of these days, I hate to say this to these, uh, uh, to some of the, uh, some of the, uh, politicians out there or some of the executives in, in various branches of government. And I think it's already become a problem for uh, Cheney and Rumsfeld. That one world government, there's a world court out there. They're going to get indicted and they're actually going to get picked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When they're floating around Switzerland one day checking on their bank account. <laughs> Why do you think they're all hiding out in Paraguay, dude? They're not going to go anywhere near Switzerland. Because you're absolutely right. They could get a one-way ticket free ride to The Hague, to the International Criminal Court, which, of course, by itself is a huge scam. Yeah, but it's a total scam. But the fact of the matter is there's so many people that one-worlders are promoting uh, this you know, international court to such an extreme. And they've already picked up, you know, the guy from what Slovenia, not Slovenia, but um, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, from Bosnia uh, guy. Bosnia. And some, they, yeah. they, brought, brought these, they brought these guys before. And who, and who all these, you know, these ex presidents essentially they ran a, a you know a, a government they're saying this is this is of course invalid this is bull i don't want to have anything to do with it and meanwhile they got the handcuffs on yeah, but I mean, you can but, complain all you want but what are you going to do when you're in the slammer but john forget about that we have under and by the way i'm risking my life now by quoting the the united states constitution because you know hey i'm crazy 
No person can be held without due process. No person can be subjected to cruel and unusual punishment. That's actually in the Constitution. Yes, but these are not persons, get it? Yes, the U.S. law on torture of any kind is crystal clear, forbidden. Not even, in, not even in a national emergency. Never can it happen. And then we have our president of the United States, Barack Obama, who, of course, is a brilliant constitutional lawyer. Brilliant! He says, you know what? Let's just uh, rig the Supreme Court. He's got all his, his guys and gals in there. I don't know the exact... Uh, it's actually pretty balanced, but yeah. But uh, see, see, we don't not. know exactly what the discussion was that went on within the Supreme Court. We only know their ruling. Torturers are immune from prosecution, of course. We know that, right? That slipped away. Yep. They can't be sued uh, for anything. You, you, you. If you tortured, oh well, you know. Whoops. No big deal. But now, if you're not a person and you're deemed a non-person by being an enemy combatant of the state, see, this is—it's just like that, like the Copenhagen. I know how to say it now. The Copenhagen. It's uh, it's building that's blocks. The, that's the the Danish pronunciation. Yeah, Copenhagen. Copenhagen. But the English pronunciation is Copenhagen. Copenhagen. I, I, I know. It's. Uh, Hi, Jen and Adam. About um, the pronunciation of the Danish capital, we, the Danes, pronounce it Copenhagen in English and in Danish Copenhagen. Copenhagen. C Copenhagen. We got it. Copenhagen. Yeah, I think when I see it written, it's got a V in it. Yes, it does, because it's uh, for haven, which would be haven, which is a port. So it's the buying port. The right. buying uh, haven. And, and the, you know, the fine, a lot of the Scandinavian countries actually pronounce words two different ways in their own country. I mean, uh, Gothenburg, uh, Sweden is a good example. Gothenburg. And it's uh, pronounced, there's actually three pronunciations I know of. One's Gothenburg, one's Gothenburg, and the other one's Gothenburg. Are you familiar with the Dred Scott case from 1857, John? Well, I'm very familiar <laughs> with it, but I can't recall it. I was in the jury. <laughs> well... This was uh, a ruling that people of African descent imported into the United States held as slaves or their descendants, whether or not they were slaves, were not protected by the Constitution and could never be citizens of the United States. This was, uh, now this didn't happen, obviously, but it was very similar, except this, this I, I don't know, I, I just can't, I, you know, where's the reporting on this, by the way? You know, th this this happened on Monday. This is the Supreme Court. Aren't there some journalists out there whose beat it is to cover the press releases from the Supreme Court? You know, we're going to have to ask ourselves: At what point do we do we just stop slamming the media for incompetence? I think we have to continue doing it. Because no, no, I'm just saying because it's just that it's like why bother asking? To remind people that it's actually taking place. That no, that there is no reporting. You have you have to remind people. Boy, I mean, just like, how much do you have to remind them? Nobody seems to be paying any attention. Well, at least and the media themselves now do the same thing. They kind of remind themselves, well, we suck. I mean, if you haven't been <laughs> listening to the talk shows, they all go on about, yeah, we're not doing a very good job. And then I'm sure you, uh, and I'll just get my, my annoyances out of the way right at the top. I'm, I'm sure you, uh, I'm sure you heard about the, um, uh, God, I've just lost it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 
what the hell was I going to say? Some other annoyance. You got oh, no. yeah, no, it. I got old. it. I got it. I got it. No, it's about the um, about Interpol. Uh, I'm sure you blogged this, didn't you? I don't know. Oh, Jesus. I tell me what it is. There's okay. a lot of Interpol stories. Okay. So there was an executive order that came out uh, just a few days ago. Executive Order 12425, by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution, the laws of the United States of America, including Section 1 of the International Organizations Immunities Act, blah, 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 and in order to extend the appropriate privileges, exemptions, and immunities to the International Criminal Police Organization, better known as Interpol, it is hereby ordered that Executive Order 12425, June 16, 1983, is amended, is further amended, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, the press... I will harp on it one more time, like, oh, man, I got to go look up. Oh, don't tell me I have to look up the executive order from June 16th, 1983, Section 2C, Section 3, 4, 5, 6 of the Act. I mean, that would be work. I've got Christmas to do. Come on, I got some shopping here. I got some shit from China I got to pick up. So uh, actually on the ronpaulforums.com, uh, they, uh, they really extrapolated it nicely and went to the 1983 executive order, which was signed, of course, by uh, Reagan. I'll just cut straight to the chase. Uh, this gives Interpol complete immunity in the United States. Uh, upon uh, If Interpol agents enter the United States, they cannot be searched, cannot be questioned, their baggage cannot be searched. All of their buildings, archives, files, anything that are in the United States are not subject to the U.S. laws. They have complete immunity. Interpol. So now we've got the global cops who can do anything they want in the United States, anything. And this just kind of slips in there. You know, it's on the White House uh, website, whitehouse.gov. It's right there, executive order. But, you know, you have to actually do some work, like look, you know, like Google the other executive orders. So if an Interpol, rogue Interpol officer still working for the agency comes over here and just starts shooting up the place. Immunity, just, total immunity. Uh, great. They, they can't be arrested, can't be searched, can, nothing can be... They can, you, the, the feds in the U.S. can't even enter their property. They can't even go and search their buildings or their, or their apartments where they're staying. And why? You know, I see no other reason than just to give them complete free reign. I mean, are these the guys that are going to disappear me when I'm a non-person? You'll never hear from me. One day, you're just not going to hear from me again. You'll be like, you'll be like, hey, is the stream up yet? Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. I just won't be here. I'm just going to dis disappear. Well, I think, you know, they could probably come over here and then grab people then. It's like bounty hunters, international bounty hunters. Absolutely. They come over here and grab Cheney and haul him back to the Hague. Uh, well, you know, you, you, can't, you can't be pissed off about one and then you know, say yay for the other, that would still be wrong. <laughs> even, if I, even if I think it would be a good idea, it's just wrong. You, this, this is, I don't know what's happened. And, you know, and, and, and people say, oh, you're conspiracy theorists. Well, come up with one other reason why this is being done. Perhaps the Ministry of Truth could give us a reason. Maybe someone could ask Robert Gibbs on Monday, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Gibbs, uh, could you please tell us why uh, people can now be deemed a non-person and therefore just uh, removed and uh, nothing would ever be heard from them further? And uh, Interpol has the right to do that now if we ask them to. Could you just uh, answer that question for me, Mr. Gibbs? What is the White House opinion? What is the president's opinion on that? <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, that's bad. 
And I'm amazed that you hadn't heard of this yet. No, I'm not keeping up, apparently. Okay, so all the links to this are in the show notes at NoAgenda.com. There's not a lot of media coverage of these things, so if it wasn't for you and me looking at this stuff in the background, our listeners wouldn't know about it either. I don't think there's any media coverage on this. And what, is, what, is the, what has the media coverage been today? Let's see. Uh, we have, um, I kind of like this one, the BBC in uh, Gitmo Nation East. You know, every single year, and this is... This has been really important. It used to be even more important when it was Cliff Richard. But every year, it's like, who's going to be the Christmas number one on the charts? And it always, you know, it was typically Cliff Richard with some like, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah song. And it would get played over and over again. And then that changed a little bit when it was Band Aid. Do they know it's Christmas time? And it's, it's huge, you know. The United Kingdom still has 60 million people living there. So, you know, you, it's, a, it's like a big sale and it's based upon sales. So there's this, uh, I think, husband and wife team. They've they've been kind of jacking charts for a while, and they started a Facebook uh, group. And the whole idea was was to not let the winner of the X Factor, which has been the Christmas number one for the past four years running, you know, this is they they time and Simon Cowell's smart. He times the show just up to Christmas, so that you know the so the the person who wins the X Factor then almost automatically becomes the the Christmas number one. That's good for half a million single sales right there. So they went against it and said, hey, we've all got to like not let that happen, so let's vote for this song, which is uh, Killing in the Name of, uh, done by Rage Against the Machine, song from 1992, which is just a killer track. It's like an anthem for, the, for, for a generation, and they did it. And, of course, you can't play the song in the BBC because it's, it has F-bombs all over it. So that's media distraction number one. Well, there's also tracking Santa. We have to have that all the time. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Hey, let's all you know. Let's all report on Santa's Santa's progress. And oh, what's this little thing in the Supreme Court? Oh, who cares? We've got Santa <laughs> on radar. Yeah. And then we have the health. I want to uh, get into the healthcare debate in a little while. Because I have a completely uh, a, a different take on it based on listening to left-wing talk radio. Well, let's get right into it then. Well, let me start by going on with a, uh, what might be happening with the health care debate. And in fact, the whole thing is probably a crock. Now, of course, the, the, the Senate approved the bill early this morning. Yeah, and that bill is, uh, let's, let's take it from the perspective that both these bills, the House and the Senate bills, have got nothing to do with anything. And this is the reason why they can be 1,400 pages long, because until it goes back to, to make a consolidated bill, nothing will come of it. Uh, and then you don't need to read this stuff, because it's not going to be the final bill. This is all window dressing for the benefit of the uh, various congressmen so and representatives. So just for the benefit of the producers who do not live in... Uh in Gitmo Nation West in the United States. So we've had a, a bill that went through the House of Representatives, was passed. <clears throat> now we have a bill that's gone through, which is similar yet different. And boy, there are some different things in the bill that went through the Senate. <coughs> now these two have to come together in committee, which is, uh, which was, is supposedly going to be on C-SPAN, but right. you know, that's what the president promised. I, we'll I somehow I doubt that. So far, a lot of backroom dealing has been going on. 
Um, then these two have to come together. Then there's a final bill, and then that goes. Does that go to a final vote, or does that go straight? Yeah, it goes straight? they go. They'll vote on it again. But let's. I, I, this is kind of explained, but I want people to kind of get a an inkling of where this might be headed by introducing a new character to the show. Ah. Since, since we talk about uh, Rush Limbaugh and we talk about Glenn Beck and we talk about all these people and Rachel Maddow and and the guy with that big head, yeah, uh, uh, yeah that guy, Oberman, Oberman. and uh, we don't talk about. If we want to take it, we have to. We have to move. We have to inch further left into the real progressive talk radio guys. We got to go way over to somebody who's borderline communist, oh, and we go uh, to free speech TV, and we <laughs> find a guy named Tom Hartman. Now Hartman's an interesting character because he is an advocate at, that the teabaggers get together with the extreme left because they have they they have a common interest. They they disagree about everything in the middle, but they agree totally with with mainly stuff about uh, our freedoms. Well, I, and I kind of like this assertion because you're seeing more of that happen, uh, for instance, with climate change, where they do have common ground in let's stop cap and trade, but they, you know, in everything in the middle, like the fact that it's all hooey and a lie, is kind of left out. But the, but they're both on both sides. You and I don't want cap and trade, but and they may believe in climate change, but they don't want cap and trade as a solution. Is that kind of the same scenario? Exactly. And the one thing about these guys is this: these progressives at this level, they hate hated Clinton. They don't like what's called neoliberals, which are globalists. They're anti-global. They're an, they're the kind of guys who 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 uh, took care of that World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle. That's these people. There, A lot of them are anarchists. And I want to play two clips from this guy. And this, you, you can find him on Free Speech TV. He he's, hates, you know, everything that, that the, uh, anybody uh, right of center uh, likes. But he, he agrees with so many things. It's, it makes it very interesting. I, at first, I want to introduce you to him by playing the clip that we have that's not the, uh, the uh, Obama clip, but it's the one called... Conspiracy? No, old the law? Uh, yeah, the old law. He's going to explain. It. He, he 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 dug up the fact that in 1954 there uh, there was a law in the books that actually was being. Uh, Enforced until around 1919, just before the uh, tax, uh, income taxing came into being. And he reads this law, and he says in his commentary, which we would agree with, is that this law was still in play. All the problems that we're having with our uh, Senate and Congress and the rest of them will probably wouldn't be problems. But let, but I, this gives you a, a, an impression of this character. And I am going to read this very quickly. This was law from the founding of this country, or shortly thereafter, in Wisconsin, until finally in 1954, they discovered it on the books and they, they, they nuked it, but it actually was enforced up until the late 19th century. And this was a law that was pretty much identical to laws that were on the books in every state in the Union. And so this, this is the old Wisconsin law. The title, Political Corp Contributions by Corporations. This is the law we need to bring back. No corporation doing business in this state shall pay or contribute or offer consent or agree to pay or contribute directly or indirectly any money, property, free service of its officers or employees or thing of value to any political party, organization, committee, or individual for any purpose whatsoever or for the purpose of influencing legislation of any kind or to promote or defeat the candidacy of any person for public office for nomination of appointment or election to any political office. 
penalty. Any officer, employee, agent, or attorney, or any other representative of any corporation acting for it in behalf of such corporation shall violate this act, shall be punished upon conviction by a fine of not less than 100 nor more than $5,000. And keep in mind, 200 years ago, that was a fortune or by imprisonment in the state prison for a period of not less than one nor more than five years or both. Okay, so didn't so that's interesting because I thought that well maybe they got the way they got around this was you are allowed to petition your government. Well, they were obviously got around it in a lot of different ways because now it's completely out of control. But is this still law? Is it No, this, no, no. This law disappeared in, in the 50s. Oh, okay. So it would be interesting to track down the history of that and see how it got Remove yeah, I probably got. There was probably some, you know, some skullduggery and some trickery and some, you know, people in the Congress themselves who were saying, "Look, we can make a heck of a lot more money." You got my wife was pointing out to me that, you know, the average uh, uh, net worth of a congressman is eight million dollars, which is not the way they began. Most of these guys make money <laughs> yeah. once, well, they well, once they get elected. Like, office, yeah, of course. Now, how does that work? Well, how does it work? Maybe we can, we can take it to another degree, and you, you have to hear out this whole argument. But I now believe that Hartman is, is half, he's kind of half stumbled onto something. Not that. that I just wanted well, wait, to wait, hold, John, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I mean, so what's, we, doesn't everyone know this is how it works? If you look at the donations that Obama received, you know, he received all the money from the insurance companies, or the majority yeah, amongst all the candidates. Care, right. Everything no, from but, Wall Street. I mean, it's, just go look up the donations. Yeah. It's all from big corporations. People don't understand this. No, that I'm playing that clip for the reason of background on Hartman. I'm not. We're not talking about that. All right, okay. we're talking about the health care bill. Okay. So now you have to play Hartman on the health care bill, and this is what triggered my thoughts because I'm now hearkening back on MSNBC's commentary about the, the price of health insurance or the, the the skyrocketing price of health insurance stocks. Stocks in particular. Yes. Hartman doesn't quite come up with this with this thought, but Hartman has the background for it. This is a little bit of a long clip, but he explains something, and I think he stumbled onto what's going to happen, which is why I think the health care bill, when it when it gets finalized by this committee, will be different. And I think Hartman may be onto something here. Okay, so first of all, the clip you want me to play is Hartman conspiracy. That's the one you want me to play. Yeah. Okay, so let me just reiterate because we didn't talk about this on Sunday last Friday. Wall Street closed with the insurance company stocks at a 52-year, not week, 52-year high because they all knew that what is happening with this, essentially because everyone will be forced to have uh, health insurance, these guys are going to make out like bandits. So now we'll see what Mr. Hartman had to say about it. Very quickly, my cons my current conspiracy theory about the health care bill, and that is that... Because a couple of senators, most notably uh, Feingold and Sanders, a couple of progressive senators, Feingold is a Democrat, Bernie Sanders is an independent, because they have come out and said that they think, or at least Sanders has come out and said that he thinks that the bill should be changed in conference to contain a public option. Knowing that when that thing comes back to the Senate with a public option in it, just keep in mind, the, the House and Senate both vote on legislation. They're very different bills. They go to a conference committee where they get reconciled into one bill. That one bill then goes to the House and Senate where they both have to vote on it again. If it comes out of conference with a public option so it'll pass the House, it won't pass the Senate. 
unless Barack Obama, President Obama, goes goes back to what he said, and here is what he said to the American people as President of the United States, as sitting President of the United States. This is what President Obama, in one of his weekly addresses, said to you and me. Any plan I sign must include an insurance exchange, including a public option to increase competition and keep insurance companies honest. There you go. That's the President of the United States saying any bill I sign must contain a public option. And so, assuming that it comes out of the conference committee that way, then one of two things is going to have to happen in the Senate. Either Joe Lieberman, who was told by Rahm Emanuel, you know, with a wink and a nod, we don't care about the public option, blow it up. And so Joe, of course, went on to blow it up. Either Rahm Emanuel, because this is the president's legacy, is going to have to start twisting arms in favor of the public option that the DLC Rahm didn't like to begin with, or Harry Reid is going to have to do the, the, the dirty work. But somebody's going to have to do it and say to Joe, Joe, you want that committee chairmanship? Ben, uh, you want you want uh, any th- any you want any money for your reelection campaign? Mary Landrieu, do you want you want some help down in Louisiana? The only way you're going to get it is to sign up. Yeah. Yeah, okay, now, it gets, it gets more interesting. Now, let's assume, now here's the thing that I, I ran into, these anomalies that didn't make any sense. Lieberman comes out of the blue and he blows up the public option in the Senate to get this thing passed. He, you know, he comes in there and he's representing insurance companies in Connecticut, but at the same time, they have clip after clip after clip of him saying just the opposite some months earlier. So he's contradicting his own beliefs away. The, yeah, he's, about he's, the way. he's flip-flopping. Yeah, but there was what was the reason for this? Because to to assuage the insurance insurance companies, and let's take on top of that this crazy thing that's happened in Nebraska, which is a nothing to see here moment. Don't look over here. Nothing to see here. Look at that. So everyone's talking about that. Okay, let's take a look at what happened with the stocks. All the insurance company stocks skyrocketed. So I saw on MSNBC one of the guys ranting about this, uh, 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 talking to Axelrod, who's now the point man for all this stuff, and he's showing up all over the place and trying to say, well, you know, as long as it gets here. The whole thing looks like a scheme to me to actually run up the insurance company stocks as a last-ditch effort for these guys to make their money ah, and get the hell and out of town. get out, right. So, and, we're all, and, of course, everyone's seeing this. They're all talking about it, so everyone's going to buy into the insurance stocks, and then, boom, the bottom falls out, and everyone's short. All these guys on the inside have shorted it by that time. They make out like mega bandits. Well, let's take a look at what's actually been going on. Take a look at any of these companies, WellPoint, Humana, take a look at any of them. I have never seen so much insider selling. They are dumping this stuff on all directors. Go to any one of these websites that shows you know, who's in, what insiders are selling the stock of their own company. These guys are taking out their options and they're selling, selling, selling. And normally in the stock market, you always assume that when people sell, sell stocks... Us. Yeah, yeah, sell that, on that, the news, well, right? No, let me finish. When people sell stocks, you have to assume that they're just taking some profits and get... Because people do that. Bill Gates, you were selling Microsoft all the time. It was doubling every year. Because people do that. And, and the only thing you want to pay attention to as an investor is when people buy stocks. The insiders buy because then they, you know, you get the sense... Yeah, they, they, they know that something's going on that it's going to go up. So that that's why the insiders are on the inside doing it. So nobody pays too much attention to the selling. But if you start looking at these insurance companies, the selling is extreme and there's no buying. 
These guys, and here's the way we work with Lieberman. Lieberman says, look, the insurance companies, no, we, we can't, this is going to kill us, this, this bill, when this public option comes out. We're, we're toast. Lieberman says, well, and of course, he's not, this is, the conversation never took place, but it's the kind of thing that you can imagine happening in a back room. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill this part of it, and it's going to you know, do you guys a favor. This will run the price of the stocks up because what we're going to throw in here at the beginning is that people are going to have to buy insurance. They're going to have to buy it. We're going to put that in the law. It'll get thrown out in committee because nobody's going to, you know, it's against the law anyway. You can't, somebody was talking about this on a right-wing talk show and they never made the connection between, you can't tell people they have to do something and then tax them if they don't. It's just not, it's, it's unconstitutional. So anyway, so that's not going to happen, but it ran the price of the insurance company stocks up. And so he said, look, you guys are going to have your one shot to get out, and this is going to be it. This is it. Wow. So take advantage of it now. So they put this whole scheme together, and this harkens back to why do all these uh, congressmen, why do they have a net worth of over $8 million? Because they're on all on the inside trading on these stocks. They all know what's going on. in on the scam. Wow. Everything we're seeing is a scam, and when this thing comes out of committee with a public option, those insurance stocks are going to fall through the floor, and people are going to go, what the hell happened here? And it was all, you know, it's, it's now becoming very apparent what's happening. And then Lieberman can go back and say, well, I tried to help you guys, you know, but it, we couldn't do it, and I, you know I had to be part of a, you know, if I had voted against the bill in this final form, they would have taken me off my committee, and that would have done you more harm than good. So uh, don't you think I did the right thing? So Lieberman will flip again and vote the positive on this thing, and everybody else will fall in line. The Republicans are all going to just vote no, and they because that's just you know they're not even in the game, and that's the way it's going to end up. We're going to end up with a. I think Hartman's right. There's going to be a public option, and this insurance stuff that we're all talking about, spending too much time talking about, is all bogus. And that's and so that's why we don't care about the 1,400 page bill that comes in at the middle of the night because that's not the bill. It's bogus. And that's because I. I I was wondering about this because I was watching Meet the Press on Sunday, and uh, so first Axelrod was on, you know, blah, 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 and then Howard Dean was on via remote, and then he actually called out David Gregory, the host of the show, and he says, and by the way, David Gregory, like, that's what my mom used to say, Adam Clark Curry, by the way, David Gregory, you didn't mention that the insurance stocks are at a 52-year high. But of course, this is, and I was like, wow, NBC's letting this get on the air. I mean, this is, you know, the Obama network is, is letting this propagate. Why are they, why is that being allowed? This makes no sense. I believe that show is pre-taped, by the way. I don't think it's live. And, uh, and so now I understand because they actually want this to run up even more. And, the, and Howard Dean could even be in the game or he's just a tool. And he's just being used that way, but they let it on. And so, John, would you put your money on this? Would you put in huge put options on the insurance companies? Would you do that? Would you go well, so I far to do that? I can't obviously recommend anybody doing any stock. Uh, no, are uh, you going to do it personally? I, if I, I'm going to look at all the insurance stocks and see what the puts are. But you know what? The thing is, if the if this game is really in play and then it's already been pre, you know, pre, it's too late. Out, it's already too late. The, Puts will be out of control. Yeah, you're right. You take a look at the puts. You go, my God, this thing has got to fall to one dollar. Can you can you look at that real quick? Can you look at the puts? Can you just look at like uh, what was the one you mentioned? Well, let's look at the puts on Humana is a good example. Okay, you look you look at those puts because this is a what a what an excellent uh, analysis, John. Is this something that you and uh, Horowitz came up with? No, no, I came up with it last night when I was listening to Hartman. Ugh. 
because as soon as he said this and he had that Obama clip, which was done after he was a president, it just dawned on me. But this whole thing is a giant scam. Hartman never took it to the next level. That is a stock market play. Oh, my God. It makes so much sense. Yeah. T take a look at those puts. Just let me know if, if, if it's already. Yeah, you're right, because, you know. And by the way, this happens all, this is, uh, for those of you who, if you've never seen 9-11 uh, loose change, you know, one of the interesting things that is continuously highlighted that on uh, September 9th and September 10th, uh, one day before 9-11-2001, the put options, i.e. the Wall Street gamble that a stock will nosedive uh, on American Airlines and other air, uh, aviation-related stocks, including Boeing, were 10 times the normal volume. So, you know, th with the obvious undertone that someone knew about this, and that's why all these, I mean, it's it's weird when you get the volume on put options at, at a 10x at any point in time, but especially one day before these stocks all tanked because of uh, not just a hu uh, humanitarian, but a an aviation disaster of epic proportions. I'm taking a look now. Meanwhile, uh, while you're looking at that, John... Uh, well, okay, let me just say, I, I can conclude something here. The puts have not skyrocketed. I think there's a few decent ones in here. The, the, there's a couple that are kind of weird that are a little too overpriced, but I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of activity. Uh, but the, but there is a lot of activity in the calls, which means that the game is still in play. So they're still running it up. They still expect it to run up. Well, of course, this is going to last throughout the new year. This is not actually going to come to a vote before February or March, I guess. It's going to take a little while now, right? Yeah, so I would, <clears throat> if I was just looking at these things... Uh, actually, the May tenth puts for Humana are the uh, are the last that are really being traded. There's no like the August. There's nothing. And there's like no puts. And then well, there's a January. <coughs> sorry, there's a January 2011. There's some 2011 stuff that's yeah, kind of interesting. Well, that would make sense that that it would be around that time. I mean, these things do take time. Yeah. So, January, well, you know what? Why don't we track this for a couple more weeks? Uh, I think it's I think it's fantastic that you uh, that you that you've I mean, dude, talk about conspiracy theories. You are the crackpot du jour, my friend. <clears throat> Sometimes I nail it. I, I it just I think makes, this did, is dead did, on. This is a, a this is a, a thesis that explains everything. It explains the lack of people having to read the bill. It explains Lieberman flip-flopping. It explains the Nebraska thing because the guy, that guy can now go back and say, hey, what can I do? I, I tried. I almost had it for us to get free, you know, all this free stuff, but we couldn't do it. Uh, I mean, it's now they, they've all, they're all in with their excuses, and now they can push whatever bill they want through out of this committee. And, uh, that's, and it also explains why Axelrod suddenly got on the stump because he has, he's in charge of controlling this thing, and this is essentially – if you look at it, break it down, it's a Chicago pump and dump scheme taken to the limit, taken to the extreme with big public corporations. Wow. And these guys are from Chicago. Hey, yeah, dang, go figure. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's huge, John. Thank you. Yeah, that's really big. Well, I, I just had a little thing from the bill. <laughs> Just a little teeny-weeny thing. So nothing to see here thing, I can assure you. Yeah, let me uh, roll over that over here. Nothing to see here. Ooh, look at that. Hey, look at that stock. Don't look at, the, don't look at the puts. Look at the stock. Look at the calls. Don't look at the put. And we could do it like a parrot. Look at the calls. Don't look at the puts. Look at the calls. Don't look at the puts. 
Section 3403 of the uh, Senate bill, John. This is uh, Harry Reid's fine work. There's a little ditty in there that says, and I quote, It shall not be in order in the Senate or the House of Representatives to consider any bill, resolution, amendment, or conference report that would repeal or otherwise change this subsection. And I'll tell you what that subsection is. It is about the Independent Medicare Advisory Board and their ability and regulatory power to reduce the per capita rate of growth in Medicare spending. So uh, these uh, these independent boards, which of course are filled up with uh, ex-pharma people, uh, essentially get to lay down the law. But what is an, what the outrage is, is that there is a, a bill in uh, under consideration by the United States government that that says in the bill you can't ever debate this you can't change it i mean so why do we i mean why not just put that in every single bill <laughs> so, hey, yeah yeah this is law and you can never change it nana 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 this but is that, like one of those uh non-disclosure agreements which i find i think are unconstitutional well isn't this unconstitutional by yeah. definition i mean you i mean this, yeah, it's totally unconstitutional it's ridiculous and you know what this will lead to this will lead to because it will not put seniors in a position of being put to death by their government that's what medicare is all about these board this this is this is the what some would call death the death panel. the death panels yeah so these and and you look at the the, the i think we did this a couple months ago I gave you some of the names and some some of the affiliations of these independent uh, advisory boards. It's it's all like pharma people. I don't want them determining, you know, your health and your health care. John, I love you, man. And by the way, also with my thesis, they had to ram something through the Senate because it's never going to go to committee if they never passed it. That's why they all agreed to all kinds of schemes, and you know, if you if that thing never passed the Senate, then this is never this whole scheme of running up the uh, putting this new stuff back in and running up the uh, insurance companies would never it, it couldn't work. Well, I defy anyone within the sound of my voice, and we do reach all around Gitmo Nation from west to east to down under, uh, up until the chilly north of Gitmo Nation. I defy you to find this type of analysis anywhere else, anywhere, and it's uh, it's brilliant. I have to give you props, uh, John, for this. <laughs> and if you want this type of work to continue, now is the time to do something about it. By helping us out, by contributing to our business model. This is what you'd expect from the national treasure known as National Public Radio. That's, what, uh, that's how Janine Garofalo categorize it national treasure or pbs you won't see this on those shows they will not dis- dissect this they just will not and we do it and we do it because you know john you could have been having sex last night you could have gotten hookers and blow anything you wanted but no what do you decide to do you decide to listen to left-wing talk radio and then you get onto a, a spark and uh, you, know, you were working on the on a, up until uh, 15 minutes past show starting time because and, this is what and- we do and by the way, this is the reason I always harp on the fact that, you know, all the left-wingers, they won't listen to Rush Limbaugh. There's good ideas on both sides of the aisle if you listen to both sides. But if you're going to be like just a bigot, and, oh, I'm not going to listen to that guy because he's an idiot. 
Uh, you're just making a huge mistake. And this is the thing I think we I pointed this out to you the other day where I, we were, I, there was a clip uh, of John Stewart who t- does a takeoff on Glenn Beck that is absolutely spot on and hilarious. And you listen, you listen, you see him do it, and you just see it. It's, it's one of the funniest things he's ever developed. And he's doing a, a becoming Glenn Beck on this on this on the screen. Nobody in the audience got the joke. Exactly. Because John Stewart's audience does not watch Glenn Beck. They've just heard of him. Yeah. If, if that. And this yeah, is yeah. why yeah. The, this program is called No Agenda, because we don't have one other than our own, which is not left, not right. We just call it as we see it. And uh, I'll just start it off here with a quick note from... Uh, uh, from Paul Schreiber, who uh, said he was going to donate a portion of the Santa Barf iPhone app proceeds to the show. He says uh, he saw a jump in sales over the weekend. Thank you very much, guys. Of course, that was uh, because we mentioned it on this show. He sold over a 1,000 copies, so we can uh, expect a nice little donation from him. Uh, as of this morning, there is yet another No Agenda iPhone app. This one, I think, is spectacular. It's in the, iPhone, in the uh, iTunes store. Um, a portion of that uh, proceeds also being donated to this show. If if you want the ult, so far I think this is the ult. I love ev- all, everybody's work, but this is the ultimate app. It has every show, every episode go- going back to December thirteenth, two thousand seven, when the very first show aired. It has all the show notes. It has soundboards in there, so you can actually you know walk around and play little little clips of uh, well some of our jingles of course but even better I'd have to say are some of the buzz kills so there's like uh, a whole screen here with John's head and you click on uh, John's head here and uh, let me see if I can uh, it has to load up for a second um, and it's got all of your uh, all of your little quotes and it seems like there's going to be updates because there's room for more and it also has the stream it's got uh, i mean just everything a- anything you'd want in an iphone app for no agenda is here i don't know why is that not oh maybe i have to turn it off of silent there we go boy adam that's unbelievable <laughs> i know why people love this show possibly i'm skeptical i'm skeptical yeah. I love yeah, it. we could just you could. Just, I don't even have to do the show anymore. No, no, you don't have to show up. I can just uh, plug this into the board and uh, and good to go. So well, anyway, <clears throat> yeah. Did you want to be, name some people that donated this uh, week? Yes, please. First, of course, we do have our top executive producer, Sander Hoxbergen from Hoxbergen, Hoxbergen from from Zandam, Netherlands. Zandam. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have uh, Eon Monroe who gave us 150 bucks from Apo uh, Arab. Well, it says Apo A E, which would be Arab Emirates, but then it says United States. Oh, A P O. I don't know. E- anyway, Eon, thanks. I don't, I don't know what that is. He's from maybe his military. I can't tell. There's no note. Uh, then John Winiarski, we mentioned earlier, two thirty four fifty six, and then we have. Uh, yeah, brother. Shane Brady, Plattsburgh, Missouri, who gave us a hundred one two three one two five two four. Nice. No explanation. Uh, then we also uh, move on to our V Media uh, p- uh, person Maria for Rudolf Strat, uh, two fifty. Uh, and then we have um, John Odom from Houston, and he. I have no idea. Oh, he's fifty three seventy seven, but but he had a note. 
and this was kind of interesting. This is $50 plus a $3.77 tip. I wanted to clear the remaining balance of a gift card. He also had a, uh, he found $5.95, which was the remaining balance on his unemployment debit card. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. (laughs) Because he's got a job now, and he figures, what else am I going to do with this? Oh, nice. Thank you. That's, That's appreciated. And then we have Luca Capodoro, who gave us, he's from Milano. Uh, he's, I think, given us money before, and he said, uh, $120. He said, Adam said, buy me more time with this. I'm buying you two hours uh, at $124,800 a year. Not a Goldman Sachs salary, but hey, you're not bankers, and I'm not Uncle Ben. Uh, <laughs> he says, you can practice the Al Gore poem. And he says, if you get bored during rehearsals, you can use up to a half an hour of his paid-for money for hookers oh excellent michael kingery uh 250 you mentioned earlier uh, he uh i'm sure that's julie lee and um she gave us 250 for brandon her husband's not getting a birthday wish and michael uh, kingery uh was in for 50 but he wanted to uh he's working on a on a thing called battle bears which is an he's an iPhone game company guy, so look for Battle Bears and check it out. And Rob Sealock, two fifty one from Cochrane, Alberta, as we mentioned before, and he says uh, he doesn't say anything actually. Uh, then we have this is kind of confusing because all these people are sending in a lot of notes now, so I'm having to cut and paste a lot of things. Then we have. Uh, XESS Corp. Uh, and I don't have his name, but he says, uh, thanks for doing God's work along with Lloyd Blankfein. Okay. Well, this is a, this is God's work. That's this Goldman Sachs guy who said that they were doing God's work. David, oh, that's what it is. Yes. That's, it. that's the reference. David Schneider, $100. Uh, Alpha Line Corporation in Schlutern, Germany. Uh, this is actually Michael Block, hundred two dollars, and this is C S C H L U Umlaut U C H T E R N, which I think is Schlustern. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not even going to try and correct you on that one. What else would it be besides Schlustern? Yeah, sure. Hundred dollars from uh, David Jardine. Hundred four dollars from Will Erickson. And then I'll just mention the fifty dollars uh, from uh, a number of people. Again, we have uh, Vincent Dunstan and Daniel Kepler, and uh, double spaced everything. Uh, Gordon Walton, Austin, Texas, and Chris McElhatton, and I mentioned John Odom already. And finally, yeah. You know, you took an extra fifteen minutes to get all this together, and listen to what, listen to what kind of job you're doing. You know, I don't understand the problem. This is all you have to do. All you have to do is bring some clips, show up, and do this, and you never get it right. Never. Sidoti and Will Erickson, thank you guys. No, yeah. the problem is these all came in at the last second, just before the show was. You know, I was supposed to go to do the show, and it's like all these. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, in case you were wondering what the formula is for this program, it's simple. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. And it doesn't matter if we hit him with a left or a right hook. We just hit him in the mouth.
And go to noagendashow.com and dvork.org slash NA. And remember, when you're thinking, hey, you know, what should I do with my money if I'm going to give it away to something or someone? Look at the work. Look at the results. Look at what you're getting. Listen to that. Go back and listen to this, this theory that John just laid out on you, which I think has a huge amount of credibility. And by the way, and talking about giving us uh, some support, uh, no, we, you know, we don't. We, we, sometimes we kind of slam PBS for their kind of sleazy, you know, taking money from people and taking commercial advertising. They just this last week, and ask yourself why, signed up to be one of the Nielsen clients, so they would, so they would have ratings. Wait a minute. Um, so the way that works with Nielsen is you get ratings, and based upon the ratings, you can raise the price of advertising. Do they do advertising, John? Am, am I confused? Do they well, advertise I, on uh, on PBS? I know on NPR or? they do because the woman who runs it said so. Let's listen to her one more time. This is the chairwoman, right? Okay, move it on to money. How are NPR's corporate underwriting revenues holding up in the recession? And what about foundation grants? Um, two different stories. Um, underwriting is uh, corp- uh, underwriting is is down. It's down for everybody. I mean, this is this is the this is the area that is most down for us. is is in is in sponsorship, underwriting, advertising. Call uh, it whatever you want. Oh, uh, okay. All right. We'll just call, call it whatever it, you want. Yeah, just, we'll just call it advertising. Huh. We don't take ads because it would interrupt the flow of the show, and it, this is the main reason we need your support. We don't want to be yakking away. In fact, the, t- the Tom Hartman show, which we introduced earlier, uh, is extremely annoying because he will have somebody on a really good conversation, but he has to take a commercial oh, got break. Got a break. Got a break. That's right. And he's making these breaks constantly, and it just ruins the pacing and flow of the show. And it's like you just turn, and you know, just it's just it's. And not, it's and not, not only like that, that, but he's going to get limited eventually by what he can say based upon uh, the people who are sponsoring his show. That's certainly the case for NPR, who take advertising, and that's why we don't do it. Not just for the flow, but we also want to be completely free and clear to speak our minds without having to have those media filters on. Like, oh, I can't say this, I can't say that. Oh, if I say this, oh, you know, it'll piss off. Off that person you just can't do it so 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 now that said by the way it's dvorak.org slash na or, or no agenda show.com uh that said it doesn't mean we don't run ads to ridicule oh yes no we we actually love to ridicule and i have one this week because we haven't done one of these one of our drug ads for a while this doesn't set any records by any means where you have like, you know, 10 seconds of promotion and then, you know, two minutes of disclaimers. This one here is a very short, tight commercial with the disclaimers kind of worked in almost as a benefit. In other words, it's, and boy, this stuff will do you a lot of good and you'll get sick as a dog. And by the way, you'll probably die. And they do it in a, in, in a, in a very kind of an upbeat way. I thought this was quite unusual, but, but it also begs the question. Because if they talk about apparently you take this stuff as a shot you get once a month. I guess you have to get it from your doctor. Well, let, let me just remind the audience, uh, for those of you who are new, we have asserted for quite a while, and it's uh, and this is actual studies have proven that, like on the cigarette packs, when you put huge warnings on it that say, you know, hey, this will kill you, smoking causes, uh, you know, you can't have ejaculations, uh, you won't make babies, you'll get lung cancer, you'll die. The bigger those warnings, the more they sell. People actually, for some crazy twisted reason, like it when there's all these nasty side effects like death, and uh, it works as a marketing tool. So this is why you see 
only seconds or a small portion of an ad, which is the benefits, and then the rest is all disclaimers because that's actually the piece that's selling you on the product. This is our own crazy minds at work. Now, the thing that's funny about this stuff, which is called, I think, Simboni, 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 is that I don't, I'd like to, somebody explain to me how any drug that you take all of a sudden makes you susceptible to funguses. <laughs> I mean, it's, it makes it sound us. like you're going to take this stuff and the next thing you know, you'll be covered with mushrooms. <laughs> Tree it's man. disgusting to even consider. Let's listen. Where are people with moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis going? They're discovering the first self-injectable RA medicine you take just once a month. It's Symphony, and taken with methotrexate, it helps relieve the pain, stiffness, and swelling of RA with one dose a month. Visit forsymphony.com to see if you qualify for a full year of cost support. Symphony can lower your ability to fight infections, including tuberculosis. Serious and sometimes fatal events can occur, such as infections, cancer in children and adults, heart failure, nervous system disorders, liver or blood problems, and allergic reactions. Before starting Symphony, your doctor should test you for TB and assess your risk of infections, including fungal infections and hepatitis B. (laughs) Ask your doctor if you've been to a region where certain fungal infections are common. Tell your doctor if you're prone to infections or develop symptoms such as fever, fatigue, cough, or sores. You should not start Symphony if you have an infection. Ask your rheumatologist about Symphony. Just one dose, once a month. You know, can I make an assertion here, John? That's that's fantastic. I love the intonation. Hey, you know, you can get fungal infection. Hey, it's cool. It's awesome. Be the yeah, first on your sure block. That that, I'm not actually sure, based on our own theories, that that's an effective mechanism for getting people to buy the product, but... No, I think they're not saying it in a scary enough voice. Um, I will say that the illegal drug trades, of course, this is the legal drug pushers. The illegal drug pushers are catching on to this uh, this concept, <laughs> and uh, they've now uh, said, you know what, we, you know, these legal guys, man, you know, they're really they're really moving ahead, and people are buying their shit. We've got to keep our sales up. What can we do? Well, we can't really put big warning labels on packaging. I'll tell you what. Why don't we put some hmm deworming medicine into the coke and have people die from it and shit yeah that's a good idea let's do that (laughs) and lo and behold in a recent report from the cdc who apparently regularly test the quality of our coke as well they should yes uh have said hey you know there's something really weird going on here 69 percent of cocaine shipments and by the way i love the exact number Apparently, they know every cocaine shipment there is. 69% of all cocaine shipments seized as of July 2009 contained levimisole, uh, which is a deworming drug. And, of course, you take into account that this was one of the uh, drugs that was found, I think, in DJAM's body after his toxicology report. So he snorted some of the stuff. This is great advertising. Hey, our shit's now actually dangerous, too. Snort up, kids. Yay. Uh, you know, this is a story is one of the more baffling ones I've ever. I think they're tr- honestly trying to get people off. I honestly believe the drug uh, cartels are trying to get people, or at least the American ones, are trying to get people off of cocaine and onto no, heroin. I, I, can't, I could not disagree more, John. And that's First why, of all, you know, it's we the same get people. It's the, well, that's true. But it's the same people running the drugs in. I mean, look, they know exactly how many shipments. The DEA said, hey, 69% of everything we track. 69% is a, t- a pretty precise number. Exactly. 
of all cocaine shipments, so they know what's coming I mean, in. 69, not 70, not 68. No, not, not kind of like, about, more or less. No, 69%, because they're shipping it in themselves. So I think it's just the the underground drug industry is saying, hey, you know what, hey guys, how's that? You know, they probably have a conference somewhere in Vegas. With the drug marketers, and you've got the you know, you've got the Simboni drug guys saying, "Hey, you know what's really working for us? You know, telling people the shit will kill you." Oh wow, you know, that's, that's good. Yeah, let's that's hey, funny. hey, let's do that too. If anybody watched the series, one of the probably the best things ever put on television, The Wire. Yeah, uh, that's good. They had these drug guys actually having these kinds of meetings. And uh, and and you know and look, they can't you know they can't run ads for. Uh, for deworming cocaine on television, so they've got to get a press release out there, and so they go straight to the Ministry of Truth, and uh, you know they talk to the CDC and say, "Oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do a little report on that." And then the DEA says, "Hey, by the way, I got some cool stats for you. That always works in a press release. Turns out, sixty nine percent of the shit we're bringing in—I mean, is coming in—is uh, uh, laced with it." <laughs> I'm telling you, John, this is marketing. This is yeah, great pretty marketing. good. Well, you know, we'll see how it works out for him. The uh, I wouldn't touch something like that with a thousand foot pole. Uh, so, by no, the way, I, my, uh, <laughs> got a couple leftover clips here. I wanted. There's another topic I just want to get into before we start to wrap, which is a ways off. I think. And uh, well, uh, no, we probably got about uh, twenty minutes. Uh, I'm re- I'm. I have a small energy problem. Uh, so is your battery going to die on the little microphone? It is possible. So uh, if should that happen, then there's two things I can do. What I'd like to do, it'll take me five minutes to go get a new battery, but it might last throughout the, the next half hour. Okay. Because I'd, so, I'd, I'd hate to not get to all of the bits just before Christmas. Because I want to put everyone in a nice, cheery mood. <laughs> I want everyone to feel good about what's yeah. happening in the world. In the morning. And are we going to play a Christmas song at the end? Yeah. Why, why did you cheat? Well, yeah, we can. My wife came up with that yeah, one. Yeah, we'll, we'll play that one. Sure. She thought it was funny. If, I, if, I I run, it. if I run out of battery juice, I'll, uh, I'll start it, and then uh, I'll run out and get a battery. Oh, that's a thought. Yeah. All right, so let's play. This, is, this story has been here and there, and it's, it's, it, it's kind of bothering me. And I want you to – got a three-parter here. There are three little clips. They're, it's called Army Policy. And I just want to – this is in the news around here, and I want to play these and then discuss it a little bit. Right, try Army Policy 1. Good evening, I'm Ken Bastida. The holidays can be a difficult time for those in the military, but for one young enlisted mother, she says the Army gave her an unimaginable ultimatum, her child or Afghanistan. And as Robert Lyles shows us, while her Christmas wish came true, her struggle isn't over. It's great. I mean, I've never been without him longer than a day, so it just it hurt me. I, it hurt me a lot to not have my baby. The last time Army Specialist Alexis Hutchinson saw her son Kamani, he was just nine months old, separated by 3,000 miles in an Army jail cell. So it's my first Christmas with my baby being here. And Wait a minute, he's in, he's in the slammer? No, she was in the slammer because she wouldn't deploy to Afghanistan. <clears throat> she said she had this kid that she had to take care of, and there was no alternative services. To, nobody could take care of it. So the army said, screw you. Get it. You're going into the jail. And then they sent the, and she, they said they don't believe her. Well, play clip two. There's a little explanation here, I think. Okay, here we go. Not get on the plane. 
I knew that I didn't get on the plane and I know how serious that is for military people to deploy. But my whole thing was my child. I want my child to be safe. I don't want my child to be in some stranger's hands. And that was really the only thing that I cared about was him. All right. Now, I'm, the question I'm going to start asking here is what happened to the – even in World War II – and remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? Yes, of course. Of course. These were you know, sole survivors, one kid. You know, sole, I mean, there was all these rules about who could go to – you couldn't even have people working together in the same factory. There's all these rules. They said that this woman was lying to them, and you kind of said that she probably didn't even have a kid. Of course, they could have checked with the fact that the kid was sent to foster care. This kid's like a little one-year year old was sent to foster care because they had to ship her for another you know round of whatever she does in Afghanistan because it's more important than the kids showing our what you know what we have as our priorities obviously you know a single mom and a kid priorities screw you you know get to work uh, you know on another one of these tours and let's play the, the third clip and then I asked you know more questions along these lines that decision immediately landed Hutchinson in the brig and come Money was on his way to state foster care. I told them I had no one to take care of my child, and they just kept telling me that they did not believe me. They thought that I was lying. Hutchinson is not alone. CBS News has uncovered a growing number of single military parents forced to choose between deployment and their child. I feel that I'm being put in the same category as an unfit mother. Lieutenant Colonel Vanessa Benson lost custody of her son to her ex-husband while deployed in Afghanistan. So now an Ohio congressman wants to stop that by passing a new law. These people are, are not leaving their families or their children to go off to some place to find themselves. They are serving their country. It just, it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's wrong. Anyway. So that so this one woman was a lieutenant colonel, and she you know basically lost her kid because they, this doesn't. Would somebody in the military explain when these policies came along? Because even during World War II, families were kept together. There yeah. were there was all these rules about you can't send somebody to this to fight if they have a if they're the sole survivor, for example. Sole surviving son was a good example. Of people that couldn't do this, and of course they didn't have women at all in the army and navy back then. And these are all women that are getting screwed over it's almost like you know you want you joined it you know you're you know you shouldn't have babies kind of policy i think this is sickening and the guy that's that's trying to overturn this by the way is a republican not a, there's no democrats speaking out for these women yeah we didn't talk about this on uh it's the on, democrats on, who wanted these women in the army in the first place right we we didn't talk about yeah exactly equal rights we didn't talk about this on the last show, but um, the U.S. military has now forbidden any service personnel uh, active serv- on active duty to become pregnant. It's forbidden. Yeah, well, how do you do that? How, how do you forbid a, a, something that just happens? <laughs> yeah. Well, you get court-martialed if, uh, if you actually uh, become pregnant. That's, what I, that's my understanding. This just seems like a, this seems like a misogynist kind of policy that stems from the equal rights taken to an extreme. Oh, you want your equal rights? Oh, okay, we'll give you equal rights, and then you and, you know instead of like accommodating the realities of the situation, you take it to an extreme and make everybody miserable because you personally, you know, head of the army, whoever you are, the secretary of defense. I don't know. Uh, because you don't like it, you're going to make their lives miserable and screw them over as best you can. And this is what it sounds like is going on to me. Yeah, it's real nice. That's real nice. 
And for a bogus war, that makes it even sillier. Mr. Gibbs, could you please give us the president's opinion on this? <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, that's my pet peeve of the day. Oh, well, I wish you had told me earlier. Nah. No, I think it's important when you say these things. So, I just found it abhorrent. I am uh, someone who is of the conviction that it is not a good idea to put uh, chemicals into our drinking water. I don't drink water anymore from the tap. I haven't done so for a long time, and I probably feel better for it. You uh, probably. I do not agree with the four parts per million of fluoride, which I believe is actually sodium fluoride that is being added to water supplies everywhere. This is not just in the United States. This happens in uh, Gitmo Nation East as well. And um, just as a little background, uh, the way that this, uh, this – so fluoride – and John, jump in at any time because you, of course, have been a chemical engineer. Uh, fluoride is a byproduct of the creation of aluminum or aluminum, as you might say. Um, and this was a big problem at the beginning of the industrial age where uh, aluminum was being created. And uh, this waste product, fluoride, had to go somewhere and it, it went into the air. In fact, there was, a, there was a, a very well-known case in Belgium where, you know, 60 people died because uh, some uh, fluoride was released into the air. And so, the, you know, the, uh, the EPA or at the time, I think it was probably Health and Human Services uh, in the States, even there was even a different uh, organization within government. Uh, that started to regulate this. Now, of course, another way that this stuff is getting is uh, is disposed of is in water, and so you know what better way than you know well we've got to get rid of this stuff. We can't throw it into the air. Well, if we just put it into the water and tell everyone it's good for your teeth, then uh, maybe uh, we're onto something here. So at the time, in I think this is the fifties, there was a um, uh, guy who was the head of the um of alcoa he was the chairman of alcoa uh what was his name here um it'll come to me in a second uh he subsequently oh yeah oscar ewing he was actually the lead counsel for uh, for alcoa he then went into the government and he became uh the head of uh, some environmental department and he then, you know, there's this huge campaign. Of course, there was no, no agenda around at the time or we would have been all over it. He came up with this huge campaign. Oh, it's good for your teeth. And by the way, too much fluoride actually makes your teeth, you know, brown. Um, and you, your, your teeth can become, you know, they can break, snap right off. So wasn't there something called like the Denver stain or the Colorado stain a while back, John? No, the, I haven't been paying much attention to the fluoride. Okay, so much. they were, they yeah, were, it does, it does stain your teeth. Yeah, they were putting too much in the water. And uh, <laughs> so it's all under the guise. Look, if I want fluoride on my teeth, I can get it from my dentist. I don't think the government should be putting it into my water. It's also a well known fact that this was used by the Nazis as well as by uh, the CIA. Um, in fact, it's in the book, uh, the CIA, uh, um, uh, what's that book written by the uh, New York Times author that we've discussed, uh, Legacy of Ashes. It's in the book where um, the CIA would overfluoridate uh, uh, Camp's drinking water supply to make everyone kind of subdued and, oh, you know, kind of like calm, and then they could go in and grab the guns or whatever they needed. So the exact same scenario is now playing out with lithium. 
Yeah, I've noticed the lithium thing. They, they're, they're thinking, a little background on lithium. <laughs> the idea of lithium in the water stems from the fact that there was a couple of counties in Texas in the 60s that were discovered to have a ridiculously low rate of mental illness. Um, yeah, and suicides, low suicide rate. Low suicides, low mental illness, and they and they, they tried to figure out what it was, and they determined it was the high lithium content of the water. And, of course, lithium, I think it was after this, uh, they, it was determined that lithium in high doses could be used to... <clears throat> to subdue uh, bipolar issues, uh, although it tends to make people sleep a lot. Uh, and so now somebody came up with the idea of just dumping lithium everywhere. <clears throat> to uh, Well, the Japanese have uh, have done a couple studies. and so I think it's to sedate the, the country. Well, of course it is. This is exactly what it's for. If you ever listen to Nirvana's song, Lithium, then you'll understand that this is, it is a, a psychedelic drug. It makes you lethargic, makes you calmed. And yeah, you don't want to, well, gee, I don't know. I think Kurt Cobain actually tried some lithium and look where he wound up. Uh, we'll have a disclaimer eventually. Lithium could uh, enhance your thoughts of suicide. If you're thinking of suicide, give your doctor a call. So, but the same industrial bullshit is now hey, being cooked way, up. By the way, by the way, on all these drug things, does anybody out there have a doctor that you can just call? Yeah, really. Thank you, you call up, you call get a your machine, doctor. <laughs> you got an emergency, call 911. Yeah. I don't know if anybody could just call their doctor. So, um, lithium is, uh, is a byproduct of... I believe uh, car batteries, and um, well, be lithium. No, car batteries are not lithium. Car batteries are lead acid. Period. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's it's isn't that the new green batteries? It, it, no, it'd be the lithium ion and the lithium. Yeah, the lithium ion batteries and right. the, the lithium batteries. Right. Yeah, there would be a lot of lithium left over. In fact, I'm surprised. I mean, you're going to get it. I don't think they need to do this because there's all the people people throwing away all these lithium batteries because nobody pays attention to doing it the properly, right way. Properly, it's going to be right. in the water supply anyway. We're going to be, I think this is a pre kind of a pre brainwashing to the fact that we're going to have tons of lithium in our water once these batteries start breaking down in the garbage dumps. Okay, so the Renault Nissan Renault Nissan plant in Tennessee which will be supplying all of these uh, lithium-ion batteries to North America. And there's another one in Portugal, which, of course, will supply all batteries to Europe. And then there's uh, another plant in Japan. Uh, so, you know, these guys got to get rid of their, their industrial lithium. They've got leakage all over the place. And now, oh, yes, of course it happens. The EPA is now going to regulate how much lithium is safe to be in your water. I would say zero lithium is safe to be in my water. But no, now they've actually come out for the first time ever, and they're coming out with a list of pharmaceuticals in the water that they're going to regulate, i.e. they're going to allow it. Um, take into account that we know through the Nations of the Sea Act, I think that's what it was called, that the United States now owns all water, all water, that I believe the next logical step is, here's the only water you're allowed to drink. You can drink this water. It's approved. We've checked the lithium content. It's okay. It's good for you. You'll like it. If you feel suicidal, call your doctor. 
So the uh, there, this is a problem that nobody knows what to do about. By the way, in other words, people flush drugs down the toilet and but all see, that. See, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, is is the the water I poop in? Does that automatically show up in the water I drink? How does that work? Yeah, nice. I mean, at some point, the, a lot of this garbage that we're dumping, throwing out, and especially they're worried about antibiotics sneaking in the water because they can't filter this stuff out. It goes into a reservoir. You know, it goes through the normal process of filtration, the natural filtration, when it you know either you know comes down through a mountain or it picks up you know some. Uh, it goes through a natural filtering system when it comes down from the mountain and goes into the big reservoir. But there's so much there's so much garbage that is being kind of dumped all over the place that is getting picked up in the process. And they're talking about antibiotics and crazy drugs and everything in between, which you don't need that much of, by the way, that there's minute traces of of weird stuff in the water that they can't filter out. And they can't, you know, you can make water safe by just, you know, either oxygenating it with O3 or by, you know, chlorinating it, which God knows what that's going to do to some of these chemicals. Uh, it's it, the water situation is a disaster from contamination. So my assertion here, just to wrap this bit up, is that just like fluoride, it's going to be deemed as oh, we can't help it. We're going to regulate it. We'll check it for you. But in in the meantime, the government actually wants lithium in our water to keep us calm and and in docile. line, docile. Thank you. Keep us in line with the program. Gee, I haven't seen that on the news. Hmm. Well, I don't think anyone's going to report that ever. I've heard a lot of reports about the contaminated water, but, you know. <clears throat> well, I'm drinking it out of bottles, and, uh, of course, yeah, that has its own problems. Yeah, it has its own problems, I know. Yeah. I just, why don't you just urinate in my mouth? You know, the thing is, you could just collect rainwater. You got a pretty good shot at some pure product, but you oh, know yeah. that's actually illegal in many areas of the country. You can't collect rain. Oh, of course, it belongs to the government. It's not your water to collect. No, the, the, and the, the rationale is I, I did. There was a couple of blog posts on this. There's, I think, you know, people. I mean, a lot of the greenies say, "Oh, you know, just recycle the water and the rainwater. Save a bucket of water when it rains, and all the rest of it." Uh, they have. There's the, the apparently the way they, the argument is is that we to to coordinate the water reservoirs and to make sure that the farmers get enough and everybody does their thing, we are calculating the rain washing off and going into the rivers and lakes, and that by putting up a barrel and collecting this water, you're screwing up the calculation, so they made it illegal. It's nice. illegal in most places. You know, like, why don't we have houses, for example, in Texas? Texas has a drought, pretty much a 24-7 drought most of the year, and it pours like a son of a gun, and, you know, they have floods. Well, if you've ever been to Bermuda, you'll know that there's no source of water there, because out in the middle of the ocean, there's nothing, there's no wells you can drill. And so every house in Bermuda has this weird limestone roof. They're right, all, it's very right. pretty, they're all white, and they're all designed to have a cistern, yeah, we've talked which about is that rains and rains... Yeah, it rains and rains and rains on Bermuda. The water comes off the roof, and it all gets funneled into one thing, which is a cistern in your basement. Is there any way to filter your tap water, John, to get the lithium and the fluoride out? Is I there don't any- think so. That's the, the problem. That's, that's you can the filter problem, yeah. out the, uh, bacteria yeah. and, and things with a Brita and make the water taste a little better. But I don't think it does anything for drugs that are that are dissolved in the water. But anyway, if you have these ideas, why doesn't Texas set up shop like Bermuda? Because they want you to drink the drugs. Why are you asking me these questions? 
questions. Isn't it painfully obvious? Please take the fluoride. Please take the lithium. Shut up, slave. And don't look over here. Just look at Tiger Woods. It's all good. We're happy. Anyway. That's why. That's the answer why. It could be. Let me uh, just do uh, one real quickie here. To the gate, to the gate, to the climate gate. So the climate gate is pretty much uh, played out, I'd say, right now, except for uh, some interesting things that are taking place. Because the uh, even though Copenhagen, as we pronounce it correctly, Copenhagen uh, kind of didn't work. Um, at least it's now being called a failure. And I have to question the way these reports are being brought to us. Well, I'm, I'm just too tired for that even. Uh, <laughs> I am. It's just like, oh, okay, you know, it, I'll probably figure it out why, why they've come up with this. Now, oh, shoot, now, of course, this, I wanted to play this YouTube clip. Uh, I'll see if it'll load in a second. For some reason, it's not. Um, the education that is going into the next generation. Because these guys, you know, they, they build all these blocks, and we know at the end of the day it's all just to get a world government and, you know, to have you all feel and think that, uh, you know, we're, it's not, nothing's ever going to work. Uh, climate change is going to kill us no matter what, and that will be used in, in the future. The next generation, uh, who knows if there will be another No Agenda show that can warn the kids. But now you, uh, you know this company, Build-A-Bear? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, we blogged actually the three cartoons that they produced. Yeah, so this is an uplifting Christmas adventure from the Build-A-Bear Corporation. A nice quiet day before Christmas Eve. And uh, so they have this, I mean, it's a beautifully done, beautifully animated three, is it a three-part series? Is that what it is? I think it was supposed to be more, but the, old, the, the fourth one I realized was taken off, and I don't know what was on that one. Okay. So just listen to a little bit of what our kids are being taught here. Actually, I'll fast forward. So there's so it's uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus. They're up at the North Pole. And then we see the nice little polar bears, and they're having fun. They're romping around. And then they come up, and they talk to Santa, and here's what they have to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hello there. What fine-looking polar bears. Pleased to meet you, Santa. I'm Ella. Oh, and this is my sister, Emma. Gone! It's gone! What's gone? Tell him, Dad. The North Peak. Uh, a mountain? A mountain is gone? How is that possible? Santa, sir, that's why I'm here. That's why we're here. The ice is melting. The North Pole is melting. Yes, my dear, we know. The climate is changing. There's <sighs> bound to be a little melting. It's worse than that, Santa. A lot worse. At the rate Check it's it melting, the North Pole will be gone by Christmas. My, my. All of this gone by next Christmas? I don't think no. so. No, sir. Not next Christmas. This Christmas. Oh, next there'll be no more Christmas. Oh, Mommy, Daddy, quick, you have to stop putting carbon in the air. <laughs> it's gonna send this world gonna be no Christmas. This is, this is fucking, this outrages me. <laughs> it just outrages me. And I, I, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, over the top. But of course, thank God we uh, we have this book, "Time to Eat the Dog," which uh, is uh, the, the real guide to sustainable living by uh, Robert and Brenda Vale. They're from New Zealand. Yay, yay, you guys down there. Hey, hey, hey! So apparently, you your sheep and see how far you get. So apparently, uh, 
Keeping a medium-sized dog has an annual footprint of 0.4 hectares. So they've done this whole calculation. And the carbon footprint is about the same as a SUV. Yeah. So it's time to eat the dog. <laughs> I love it. All of these links are in the show notes at noagendashow.com. It's, uh, it's fantastic to read. I, I got to get a, a hold of this book. But essentially, you know, if you're... Yeah, an- give us material for months. Yeah. We- <laughs> oh... So, you know, this is, this is just nuts. There's also apparently an HBO Kids program called Too Hot to Handle. John, we'll have to look at that, put that on the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we gotta look at that one. Um, so the indoctrination, uh, just continues. And then this is something I picked up from, uh, from your blog, actually. And in more news, Aki Bacciori, the chairman of the Nobel Prize winning intergovernment. So this is the, uh, Interview with your buddy. Yeah, the 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 Geico caveman who runs the uh, intergovernmental uh, panel on climate change. The panel on climate change has told NDTV that the charges leveled against him in Britain's Sunday Telegraph are baseless. So these, this is what we talked about a couple shows ago, where he's on all these advisory boards and he's gotten all these carbon credits for companies that he advises, and they close the plant, open a new one up in India, so they win on both sides by getting all this money for closing one. Yeah, it's a giant scambola. It's a huge, yes, thank you, scambola indeed. And and here he is crying. The paper has accused him of. In- Propriety, saying that he has worldwide business interests with bodies which have been investing billions of dollars in organizations dependent on the IPCC's policy recommendations. Dr. Pachori told NDTV that powerful vested interests are acting against him. Yes. I- By the way, John, that's us. The powerful interests. Yeah. <laughs> that's, us, that's us, baby. I advise a number of organizations, both in India and overseas, and some of them are, you know, banks like the Deutsche Bank. And they do provide uh, payment for it, but each penny of it goes to my institute. Oh. I never take a single penny for oh, my. Why don't you show me your papers, please? I'd like to. I'd like to check that. Uh, he's never taken a penny. So is the guy a pauper? He he must be. Look, he's got a nice purple tie on. He's got some dough. He says that all the money that he oh, gets from all penny, this work he does, every penny goes, goes to my to institute. His institute. Does yeah, his, his institute pay him? Yeah. It's this is this. By the way, the uh, Institute does of he, No how Agenda. How stupid does he think we are? Yeah. Well, you're a powerful, powerful source, John, and you're stupid. Every penny goes into my institute, which, of course, I control. Self. So much so, I get honoraria, sometimes pretty generous honoraria for giving talks in various places. Very generous honoraria. Yeah, it's over 10,000 bucks. That's what that's code for. Yeah. The check goes directly to my institute. And let's face it. Why should a guy from the UN, the United Nations, be paid for speaking somewhere? Doesn't the UN just send him out? Isn't, it, isn't that the deal? Oh, I'm sorry. He has a whole institute that advises companies and banks, you know, like on... Uh, mm, Carbon trading. You know, I've been visible, I've been vocal. So obviously the skeptics regard me as a target. Because yes, that's right. Hold on a second. Wait, don't, a little to the left, John. Yeah, yeah, got him. <laughs> there are vested interests who don't want to do anything about climate change. There's a lot of money behind all this. I mean, they would like to demolish. Yeah, yeah. It's $5 a month donations are behind the people targeting you. Yeah, a lot of money, dude. Hey, thanks. Could I join your institute, please? The science of climate change. What better way to do it than to uh, demolish and uh, completely damage the reputation of the chairman of the IPCC? But my record is impeccable. 
I have always been totally scrupulous about every single penny's transaction. So I'm certainly going to take action on this. So oh. you are going to take oh. action? Well, I'll well, decide what action. kind of action, but I'm certainly, they're, they're going to hear more about it. Oh yeah, we're going to hear more about it, John. Oops, shut up. We're going to hear more about it. He's going to take action. Oh yeah. I'm going to take some action. What a phony. Yeah. But that guy just looks like a phony. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. You know the joke of it? Who, who's the one who pushed that guy to be the head of the IP? I don't know. Who did? George Bush. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? All right, let's close up the gate. And then uh, just to wrap it up, John, uh, oh, the battery is just about on its last legs. Uh, remember we talked about um, very chip and you scoffed at me? I'm still scoffing. Yeah, so they uh, were delisted from NASDAQ. Good. Yeah. However, the company is still alive. In November, it uh, was acquired, I think a reverse merger. The company is now called Positive ID. Mm. And this new company is a merger between Verichip, the old company, and Steel Vault. Does that uh, name ring a bell, John? Steel Vault? Aren't they some security software company? No, they are the people behind nationalcreditreport.com. Oh. So the idea of an implanted chip to check your credit is not that far off. Well, I'm sure they'd love to do that. Well, just... So we uh, want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. Christmas Eve. We're working on Christmas Eve, and we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas because it's going to be a nice holiday coming up. Yeah. And uh, go to noagendashow.com and devart.org slash NA and help us out, and we appreciate everyone. And by the way, we do appreciate those $5 uh, subscriptions. Oh, it's huge because it, that's that's money we can kind count on every, every single uh, month. Yeah, that, that is a baseline. So even if you donate for executive producer status, please consider uh, also signing up for $5 a month. Uh, consider turning in your TV licenses over there in the UK. Uh, Germany has something <laughs> similar. Em. Yeah, dump them. Just throw throw the tubes out. Um, it's one Starbucks visit per month. Uh, we we highly appreciate it. Keeps the show going. I uh, so I got uh, the the aircraft up for sale for my uh, my New Year's resolution uh, to put my own money where my mouth is. So that's uh, that's in the works. Uh, we've done a lot on the stream as well, noagendastream.com. We're now uh, running uh, the uh, Dvorak Horowitz Unplugged shows, the Gitmo Nation Roundtable, uh, still some uh, interludes in there. She put um, a Tech 5 up on that too, uh, hourly. Yeah, but Tech 5 is like, I don't want to be, I want to just call it dvorakstream.com. You know, I, okay. I, I, no, no, no. <laughs> And I uh, and I have my own New Year's resolution, which I will talk with you about uh, before the New Year. So I'm not going to talk about it right now. But we'll, the next show we do will be on the what is it, John? The 28th. Uh, is that what that is? Uh, Sunday. Sunday. Sun yeah. Sunday. I, Sunday. 45 nitro burning funny cars. I will be coming to you from uh, the lovely national park known as Yosemite. It's actually so, the 27th. 27th. Uh, so that show 
could potentially suck, but the hotel has assured me that uh, <laughs> that it has excellent Wi-Fi available. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. But, you know, still, even on holiday, doing the show for you, not not trying to... And it, look, if this were Christmas Day, John, would we be doing the show? Yep. Absolutely. And we intend to continue that. That's why we have such a, a sweet mobile setup, so that it can continue from anywhere, and sometimes you get it with warts and all. Uh, but yeah, have a have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. All of the uh, things we discussed, and then some, you'll find in the show notes at noagendashow.com, cross-posted at curry.com, and dvorak.org slash blog. So uh, it was Mimi's idea to play it out with uh, with a Christmas song. Do you want to do uh, our, our final closing music first and then the Christmas song, or how do you want to yeah, do Yeah, let's do the closing music. Then we have a regular show and then the Christmas song at the end, and that uh, people might want to stick around, and then we'll be done. Okay. And, I, and again, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a, you know, and and it literally a Merry Christmas. This is what we're talking about, not Happy Holidays, because Christmas is tomorrow. That's right. And uh, hey, John, since uh, we kind of glossed over our December thirteenth uh, biannual, uh, congratulations, man! It's like more than two years of this show. Yeah. Well, when we get to the five year mark, then I think we can have a party. Yeah. Get all our nights and we'll party down. Yeah, hookers and blow for all the nights. Yay! And we'll deworm you while we're at it. Lovely. By the way, you know, if we got, if your battery can last just one more second, not you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to read a little commentary that was it's on the blog right now. And it's um, a guy who uh, is apparently one of these guys named Mark Faber. Who's uh, oh, CNBC? He, well, no, this is—I don't know if it's the same one, but this guy—I don't, I don't think I've ever seen. Well, maybe, but anyway, he, he made this interesting uh, commentary, uh, and he's a contrarian entrepreneurial type that, that predicted the crash and the rest of it, like everybody else. I just want to read this. If we—he's talking about how can we get our, you know, get the economy going again. He says if we spend the money at Walmart for Christmas. If we spend the money at Walmart. It, the money goes to China. If we spend it on gasoline, it goes to the Arabs. If we buy a computer, it will go to India. If we purchase fruit and vegetables, it will go to Mexico, Honduras, and Guatemala. If we purchase a good car, it will go to Germany. If we purchase useless crap, it will go to Taiwan, and none of it will help the American economy. The only way to help the money at home, or the only way that the money here at home to keep the money here at home, geez. Oh, nice. The only way to keep the money here at home is to spend it on prostitutes and beer, since they're the only products still made in the U.S. I have to do my part, he says. Well, can we just add noagendashow.com to that or dvorak.org slash na? Yeah, then we should send him a note that he left this out. Have a Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas, everyone. John, my battery died. Have a Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas, everyone. What? Okay.
Okay, guys, everyone ready to sing the song? Yeah, I'm ready. Great. Now, remember, it's almost Christmas, and nobody has any pod-safe Christmas music, so uh, that's your motivation here. Uh, Cece Chapman, you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. And uh, Lennon from Jawbone, good to go? Let's do this! And uh, Adam Curry, Skyping in from the helicopter flying somewhere above your golden palace. You all patched in there, Adam? Adam. Adam! Okay, pretty good guys, except uh, Adam, you sounded a little bit like you were rushing it there at the end. Uh, you know what I mean? Buddy? Whatever, dude. Alright, well, I can't say I care for the attitude, but, you know, just pay attention next time. Now, uh, the rest of you, I just wanted to go over. Adam. Adam, did you say something to me? No. Huh. That's funny, I thought I heard you say something. No, I didn't! Look. I don't want to go through this with you again. We're here to sing a song about pod safe Christmas music, and I, I just want everyone to do their best, you know? I mean, can you just give me a little effort? <laughs> Shut up, Cece. Adam, just give me a little effort, okay? Adam? Adam? Adam! Jesus, what? job, you guys. Really. You nailed it. Dang, nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, not too shabby. Nailed it. I don't want to speak too soon, but uh, we may have saved Christmas. Special thanks to you, Adam, for paying attention. Yeah, screw you. Yeah. Well, I'll see you tomorrow at rehearsal. Yeah, you'll see me tomorrow at rehearsal. We'll talk to you again on Sunday for the early service, right here on No Agenda.